0: Welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange with Leander Young, where we dig into conversations with seasoned musicians to discuss their life, art, and the faith of jazz as they see it. In this episode, we interview a vocalist from the United Kingdom, James Hudson. Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange. Today we have a vocalist from across the pond, James Hudson. How are you doing sir? I'm very good, how are you doing? Can't complain, can you tell the people a bit about yourself, your background, where you're based, etc?
1: Yeah, yeah well first of all thank you for having me on. It's a it's, uh, it's great to be, there's some amazing um, musicians that you've, you've had on this and it's been really interesting listening to them. So yeah, it's great to be on um, myself and thank you for asking me. But uh, yeah, so I um, am a singer, I'm a, a jazz singer based in London. I've been living in London for three years now. Before that, I was based in the north of England. In the north of England. Uh, city called Leeds. Oh, Uh, You know Leeds? I know Leeds. Okay, we'll get into that too. You're Scott. (laughs) Yeah, so I lived lived there for a while, um, sort of dipped my toe in in the scene there and then um, came to London, which was sort of always the plan. Um, And yeah, so I've, I've, in terms of recent stuff, I'm about to release uh, my debut album, but in terms of, I guess, how I came to, to singing... Uh, it's been a, a slow and, and long process um, from sort of my mid-teens starting doing acting and, um, and musical theatre, things like that, and then eventually just realising that, that the singing is what I wanted to do. This is, you know, through, through, my, through my school and through university as well, uh, that the singing is what I wanted to do and that's what I enjoyed the most. Um, and so, yeah, I suppose over the years I got to work with uh, you know, the university big band, that was my first time singing with a big band, which was like a complete life-changing moment. It was like, I, this is what I want to do. Um, and, you know, all of the musicals that I was in, some of the musicals, you know, the old school musicals, um, you know, like the Cole Porter musicals, the Gershwin ones, the Rogers and Hart, like they have these jazz standards that I I just fell in love with. And I was like, this is what I want to sing. So, um, yeah, uh, as I say, I've been in London now three years. And um, not, long after, not long after moving to London, I decided uh, I wanted to do this, this debut album, which has, has taken up most of my time over the last few years.
0: Okay. Uh, where did you go to university? Because you mentioned a university
1: band. Yeah. So I went to university at the, uh, the University of Warwick, mm-hmm. which is um, in the Midlands, in, in the middle of, uh, it's near Birmingham. Um, Bur- Birmingham, UK, I should say, um, in the middle of England. And I actually studied biology there, which is something a lot of people don't know or forget. Especially a lot of people in the London scene, who I've I, you know I've met since being in London, and they never knew me before that. Um, you know, it just doesn't really come up in conversation very often. And then when it does, they're like, "Wait, what? You studied a degree in biology?" Um, but yeah, that, that's what I did. And uh, um, as I say, it was sort of a slow journey to becoming, you know, a, a full-time singer. Um, did you get your bachelor's probably, in bio? It was a BSc, yeah, okay. so a Bachelor of Science. Um, and it was through university. The reason I went to the University of Warwick is because um, it has... I wanted to get a degree. I wanted to get an academic degree because I wasn't sure yet if the music was for me and the singing was for me. Um, and I guess I wanted to go there because it has such an amazing, um, amazing societies. I think, well, when I was there anyway, which is... Six years ago now, um, it had the most societies of any university in, in the UK. So it has everything. You know, It had the musical theatre, it had the acting society, it had the big band society. It had everything that I wanted, so I knew that I could go there and I could get my degree. But at the same time, I could try out this singing thing that I, I've always wanted to do, but I was never sure if I was good enough or if I had the confidence or, or, or the ability so that was the stepping stone for me really into trying out those things at university and then towards the end of university i was like right this is this is what i do um and i was very i was very lucky in in my final year at at warwick to to get um the vocal scholarship for for the university uh, which is something that i wanted to get even before i went to, to warwick i knew they had this scholarship and I auditioned, you know, my first, before I went, and then in my second year, and then I didn't get it until my third year. And, you know, that was a big achievement for me, and it was something that, that really gave me the confidence to be, you know, maybe maybe I can do this as a career. Well, congrats on that.
0: And that was the turning point where you said you don't want to do musical theater, you're going to focus on jazz singing?
1: Yeah, although I think, I think the focus to jazz singing started to shift when I was about 17 18 and I started listening to all the greats you know all all the great crooners um that was that was my my main thing back then I mean it still is (laughs) but um I you know I was listening to the likes of Sinatra and and Tony Bennett and Nat King Cole and and really getting getting into the nitty-gritty in the songs and trying out things and and doing things where, you know, rather than just singing the melody, I would, you know, adapt the melody and I would add little things in there. And like, you know, the the very start of, of improvisation, I suppose, at least melodic improvisation as as a as a jazz singer. Um so that shift happened then and sort of gradually and gradually I, I moved away from the from the musical theatre and And towards the jazz, and, and towards my f- in my final year of university, I was mainly singing jazz stuff, and uh, I was the singer for the, for the big band for two years. So we got to do some amazing shows and tours and and competitions and and you know singing with the, singing with a big band, I'm sure every singer will, will tell you. and uh, you know instrumentalist as well. but I guess as the singer, when you've got that big band behind you, it's, it's unlike anything else. And I remember the first time I auditioned for that band and I think we did Mac the Knife um, or I Get a Kick Out of You, one of those, or maybe both. And I just remember feeling the, that big band behind me and it, it was just, I was like, I need to do this. I need to do this more often. How can I do this more often?
0: Okay. Well, that is a whole different set of questions that comes from just that alone. But <laughs> actually is the British scene right now, do they have a lot of the old
1: swing? Yeah, yeah. You mean sort of the straight ahead? The sort straight of ahead
0: stuff? vocal sound.
1: Yeah, I, I, I guess so. There are lots of singers doing it um, and lots of there places, I'm sure you've heard of Ronnie Scott's, yes. um, as well as doing the contemporary music very well. It's, it's always had this underlying straight ahead scene and thing that they've got going on um and those sort of places really keep it alive and and all of the colleges um in london the conservatoires the music conservatoires i should say they um they, i think there are, a lot of them are geared towards the straight ahead thing and um i'm glad because that is most definitely what i like to do the most um and yeah there's lots of people i know it's very very big in in new york and other places in in the U.S., but yeah, the, it, there's a thriving straight-ahead scene in in London, especially in other cities in the U.K., which is which is great <clears throat> because that's I suppose that supports my living <laughs> and and the, all the other uh, jazz musicians um, in in the U.K. Okay, so have you performed anywhere else big except for the U.K. Oh, I've performed quite a lot of places. Um, I mean, most of them, uh, if I'm honest, I'm not going to try and uh, blow my horn. Um, most of them were on private functions. Um, so I've been to places like Egypt. Mm-hmm. I went to, just before the pandemic, literally it was my last gig before the pandemic. Uh, I think it was the 7th of March. Um, I, I was asked to go and feature with, with another singer and her band um, in, in India for a week and we got to you know visit the city it was in Jodhpur India for anyone who knows uh, India that well or always traveled around there it's, it's an amazing city and we, we did a gig there I've, I've done gigs in in Spain I've, I've did a two-week residency at the um, Hotel de Paris in, in Monte Carlo which was a great experience and all, all sorts of places in Norway um, France um, I was meant to be going to Madrid um, in Spain A few months ago but obviously we don't we don't need to explain why that didn't happen (laughs) but yeah so I've been very very lucky it's so nice to be able to travel most of the time it's you know with the guys in my band and we're, we're just mates you know we're we're colleagues essentially but you know first and foremost we're mates and we get to travel the world and and perform music to people and and bring you know joy to people whether it be a wedding or whether it be a small intimate gig at a restaurant like that is that's what i've always wanted wanted to achieve and what i want to achieve to achieve with the music that that i'm bringing out it's i want people to get joy from it and maybe a bit of escapism um and because i know that that's that's i get those things from music so i think other people should get that as well and and if i have some very tiny tiny small footprint on that then I, I feel like I'm doing my job right and uh, achieving what I want to achieve. I just think it's amazing
0: you got into the private circuit. <laughs> so <laughs> tell me about the Indian jazz scene.
1: Well, I know nothing about the Indian jazz scene. Because okay. as I said, I only, I went there for, for a week. Um, although it, it was, the, I was telling this story to someone the other day. As I said, it was, it was a wedding um, and, and it, was, it was great. We had an amazing time. Uh, I was telling this story to someone recently. We, we got to the the city of, uh, of Jodhpur to, to do this wedding. And they we'd obviously sent over the rider for, for all of the instruments and everything that we needed. And, and we turned up at the venue and there was just no double bass. No double bass there. And that was on the rider, had been on the rider for months and months and months. I think it was in the diary for like a year, this thing. It was a huge event and we were like oh so you know where's the double bass um and they were like oh uh okay and they made a few calls and then they came back like half an hour later and they were like uh yeah so we kind of forgot about the double bass but also we can't source a double bass in this city it would have to come from another city and we don't have time so we were like right okay so we're gonna have to do this baseless. but so in in the end they, they found an electric bass um to do the gig on which obviously wasn't the same um but it was <laughs> it was panic for a moment especially on on their part because the, this double bass somehow had slipped through the net and then there, there wasn't a there wasn't one they could find in, in the whole city that would, would be suitable or available so um yeah i'll always remember that that was interesting during the sound check when we turned up and there was no double bass
0: Okay. Well, tell me the differences between the academic world especially in the UK and the real world jazz scene.
1: The differences, I suppose lifestyle is the word that that comes to mind first because the the academic the academic side of things, you know, it's it's usually, I mean, obviously I'm just i'm hitting some stereotypes here but i'm sure i'll also hit some stereotypes when i talk about the jazz scene um of the academic world is you know it's the nine to five it's the live for the weekend sort of thing um it's you know people are very busy in the week um and then the weekends are very sacred because they you know i'm just talking from a work point of view anyway whereas you know a jazz musician's lifestyle is is just almost the opposite to that and the weekends are you know where you're where you're busiest and you're doing gigs and you're going from one gig to another and you're trying to, you know, do as many things as you can and keep everyone happy and you're trying to sleep <laughs> um, in between that and you've got rehearsals and you've got this, that and the other. And and then in the week, you're, you know, it, whether you're practicing or you've got rehearsals or you're just slugging the admin, you know, or, or the admin that comes with, with being a, a musician and all the boring things that people maybe don't associate with being a a self-employed musician and then you know in the week i like i like to go to um obviously things are very different at the moment but i'm hoping things will will, will get back i think we all are i like to go to the late night jams like places like ronnie scott's i'll usually go there once a week or once every two weeks when it's when it's on and you know i'm there till three in the morning and sometimes i'll just go to listen you know i'll just sit there and just listen to like these amazing musicians, you know, many of whom I can um, call my friends, which is, you know, so nice to be able to hang out and, and listen to these people do their thing. Um, so I suppose lifestyle is how I would, how I would define the main difference. But I know that, you know, there are lots of different pockets within the academic world that maybe are more similar to the jazz lifestyle. But um, I do think jazz is rather unique, um, and it's, you know, the late night thing and the traveling all over the place um, is is definitely unique and individual.
0: Okay. So what would you tell someone that is about to graduate? That's going into the music world.
1: Right. Well, I'm going to, so I can sort of answer this this question with some, you know, with having some longevity and not just (laughs) relying on the the next few months, I'm sort of going to take away the the, the current pandemic and and think what, you know, what I would would have advised um, because things are different now and I I don't want to be instantly outdated in what I say. But I think that um, people who are recently graduating from, I guess you mean from music colleges, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. I mean, I didn't go to music college. um, So I suppose... It's interesting because I spend a lot of time, all of the guys in my band and all of the guys that I play with regularly, and when I say all, I mean all, went to music conservatoires, whether that be in London, uh, the Royal Academy of Music, or the Guildhall School of Music, or Trinity, uh, or lots of other places, or you know, from places like Leeds College of Music. Um all of them went to these places. So I, um, since moving to London, a lot of them were still studying. They were in their final year or they'd just finished. And so I got to see that transition. But um, I remember when I when I first came to London and I was playing with these guys, all of whom, you know, they're amazing and they're still in, in their final year. And I'm maybe a, a few years older than them. And I didn't really know until um, I saw this firsthand that when music students uh, whether whatever city it may be i'm sure it's the same all over the world are in college and they're in school they're also just gigging on the side i didn't even know that that was that was a thing you know they were jamming they were going to they were doing gigs they're doing this that, and the other all while still studying and i suppose once i realized that i was like yeah like that kind of that makes sense because you're sort of learning on the job but you're also getting all the academic stuff that you need um, and all the practice and all the amazing opportunities that colleges offer. So I would say that to do that as much as possible, and and don't, I would say don't try, um, you know, hide away for, for all of your three years. And from you know for, from my experience anyway, a lot of a lot of the people that I have ended up working with or I see doing things um, are the people that they hit the ground running as soon as they come out of college and and or school because that's as soon as soon as they're out they've already got the contacts they're doing this they're doing that they're playing with all these different people and it means they can really push on rather than having the feeling that a lot of people do not just in music colleges in normal universities which to be honest is the kind of feeling I had which is the feeling of oh I've just finished three years now what am I going to do um you know it's the ability to hit the ground running so I think that would be my my main advice and just play with as many people as possible. Don't get bogged down in just playing with the same quartet or the same trio or you know don't get bogged down playing with the same singer or if you're a singer that you know don't hire the same band every single time. Like obviously you've got your core guys that you know you rely on for maybe for your albums and you rely on for them for most of your gigs cuz you know you've got a thing and you play together and you you um you know, you work together because of the amount of time you played. But at the same time, you know, mix it up and and have other people come come in and out and and learn from them. That's that's what I try and do anyway. Okay, well, that's
0: well. One thing stood out for that to me, I should say. So, do you think getting a degree in something else
1: benefited you or hurt you? Very good question. I would say. It benefited me personally, um, but that's first of all because I'm a I'm a singer. So you know it's very different to so if you're an instrumentalist. A lot of people are playing instruments from an early age at a very high level, um, whereas you know singing, especially for the male voice, um, you know with the whole voice breaking <laughs> thing, it's um, I think you sort of tend to come into things a little bit later. You know, when you're 13, 14, 15 and your voice is breaking, you never really know how it's going to turn out. And you don't really find your, you know, your adult voice, especially as a male and, and until your 30s or, or so I'm told. Um, so definitely when you're thinking about universities and you're thinking 17, you know, 16, 17, like, am I good enough to, do I really think that I'm good enough to be able to go to one of these colleges and dedicate three years or four years of my life to, to music? Um, When you don't really know yet if if you're good enough. Um, And I suppose for me, um, maybe I wasn't brave enough to make that jump at that time. So for me, I think university massively benefited me because it gave me, other than giving me, you know, my my friends and all the things I got to do, it gave me the opportunity to really think and try things out. Um, You know, can I do this? Is this something that is going to be viable for me to do? um and i you know in the end i decide i decided it was but i think i needed that process to to get to the other side and make a decision because otherwise you know i, I never maybe i would have never made that decision without all of the experiences that i got at university and in terms of the academic degree like that showed me all, all sorts of things like i mean i, ne- <laughs> I never use any of my actual biological knowledge that I learned like I can't really remember any of that but you learn you you remember the skills you remember the time management especially for me at university I was juggling everything I was juggling my degree which was quite intense and I was juggling all the things I you know I mentioned previously and it was the time management that would you know would sometimes be a stress there'd be the planning there'd be you know being able to write um, you know, essays and being able to communicate effectively, being able to speak to peers and work with people—all all of those things—like massively matured me. Um, I think from from how I was when I was eighteen, and that sort of set me up for for being a um, a working musician, you know, in my adult life.
0: And how did your parents take it when you just finished your bachelor's in bio and decided to be a jazz singer? <laughs>
1: I think that's what they always wanted, to be fair. I'm guessing, you know, the the answer that you, you would be in the movies would be that it was, oh, they wanted me to do this, they wanted me to do that, they wanted to, me to, to move into a field where I would, you know, make more money and make the family proud. But no, it, it was it was nothing like that. It was, I think they really they were very supportive and they were, you know, willing to, to say, yeah, well, you know, it's up to you, but give it a try. Because that's all I was intending to do and me giving it a try at the start I'm now seven years I don't even know how many years well, I, mean, I suppose six years since I finished university down the line and you know I am where I am now and I've got you know I've got a long way to go and there's lots of things I want to do and lots of things I want to improve on but um, I suppose me trying it out has, has got me this far at least so yeah it was it was good from them to be to be supportive, because I think they—they they always knew that my heart wasn't in—in in biology as much as I enjoyed it and science. It was always the singing that I suppose came naturally to me and that I really enjoyed and just just could couldn't stop doing and couldn't stop thinking about.
0: Okay,
1: I respect that answer a lot. So, <laughs> so where do you think
0: music will be in ten years? Jazz music
1: where do i think music will be i have lots of hopes for where it will be but where i think it will be in terms of jazz music um i think at the moment what we're seeing i mean as i say i'm i'm 27 so i you know I, i'm not going to pretend i have lots of world experience um but i do think that Jazz seems to be finding its way, jazz has always found its way into all different pockets of genres of music, into soul and into pop and into you know everything. It, jazz is everywhere, which is which is why I, I love it. Um, but I think we're definitely seeing that happen more now, and it's moving into lots of different areas, and you're seeing jazz musicians who who are working with these you know soul musicians. Or pop musicians, and you're hearing these you know these jazzy chords and sort of the arrangements and like the harmony that's used in a lot of these pop records that are in the charts from some of these huge artists you're seeing it everywhere, so in the next ten years, I hope that I hope that it keeps doing that and i but I also hope that it stays true to its roots and that we keep pushing the boundaries of of those roots and, and remembering them, but also trying to, you know, create new things and, and new ways to take it. And um, so I suppose that's, that's where I think it will go because we're seeing, we're seeing it all over the place now. And, um, you know, there are some people that I would say are at the, the very forefront of that. I mean, do you know you Jacob Collier? Yes. Yeah. So he, he's someone that I would say is at the very forefront of, that new type of jazz that's that's funneling into all sorts of music. I mean his new album, um is it DJ Jesse I think it's volume three. Mm -hmm. Um I listened to that recently. It came out this summer maybe and that was almost like it was like an R and B pop soul. Like some of it was even pop, yeah I agree. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but, you know, all of the harmony and lots of the, you know, some of the singers he used and, and all sorts were, were all jazz influenced. And he he's from London and he studied at the, the Royal Academy of Music, which is just like down the road from from where I live. Um, and he studied there. And so that's obviously, he was picked up by Quincy Jones. And, and he's, Quincy Jones is all, always a, he's a person who I admire massively. And I, I was very lucky to see, his um, It was one of his anniversary concerts at the Royal Albert Hall a few years ago. And there was um, Jacob Colley was there, Corey Henry was there, um, all sorts of people there, the, the Heritage Orchestra. I believe it was the Heritage Orchestra. And, um, you know, Quincy has signed him up and has taken him different places. And Jacob is, is really pushing the boundaries of, of how jazz can um, be, I suppose, digested in, in different ways.
0: First of all, I'm jealous I even got to go to see Quincy perform. I never got to, so yes, and I do agree. Quincy has always been just in music in general one of the greatest producers of all time. So yes, I
1: fully understand
0: you being admired by the
1: guy. So- yeah, what an amazing, what an amazing catalog of people he's worked with. When you've worked with Frank Sinatra, you know, and Michael Jackson, you've got the King of Pop, and you've got the King of king of vocal jazz there so and they're so different but Quincy just Quincy does it and that concert's one of the best I've ever seen mm. so who else in the British scene do
0: you like right now
1: artist-wise there's lots of people doing great things um and lots of people are producing some really nice music at the moment um who I would say to you I would say at the moment the something I've been listening to the album today. I listen to it all the time, is an album um, by an arranger uh, and trombonist and composer called Callum Ow, and it's a, a record with a singer called Claire Martin, and they released it a few months ago. And it's the album is unbelievable. It's you know full orchestra. They're playing standards, but Callum has an amazing ability to. to to recreate these standards and make them sound, you know, absolutely insane. And the orchestra sounds phenomenal. So yeah, that's that's definitely someone who, um, who I think is definitely at the forefront of of jazz at the moment, especially in terms of, um, things that are accessible as well. Um, and yeah, singers, singers like Claire Martin, um, and Leanne Carroll, Leanne Carroll is, is an unbelievable singer. She's, um, she plays the piano and sings and i saw a duo gig of her and claire martin who's who's the singer i mentioned um last year and we we did the support that night i think um myself and my guitarist nick fitch did the support for that gig um at this big cathedral i think it's a cathedral it's called Saint john smith square and um watching them firsthand was was amazing and how, how they vibe off each other um but there's, you know, there's too many people. There's too many people um, t- to name.
0: Understood. So, have you ever been invited to play on a non-jazz album, or in your case, sing?
1: Not on an album, no. I've worked, I've worked with different projects um, for-, for gigs and things like that. Uh, I used to sing. I suppose over the last few years, I've moved even further into into sort of jazz and straight ahead jazz and the the crooner thing and the the, the type of music that that I want to do. But yeah, I mean, I used to sing. I used to sing all sorts of stuff. Um, but no, I've never I've never been asked on a on a record that, for non jazz stuff. But I would definitely be definitely be interested. I'm always willing to to try and push myself because I'm I just want to learn. I just want to learn everything and hear everything. <laughs>
0: Okay, so if you can remove all the barriers, all the constraints, what type of project would you do, and who would be on it?
1: This is something I've been thinking about a lot recently, because, as I said, I've got my um, my debut album, which is called Tomorrow, by the way, which is out. It's not out tomorrow. It's <laughs> it's out um, at the end of February, twenty twenty one. And you know, that that is done now in terms of everything other than sort of marketing and PR and, and, and all all sorts of things like that. That is all done. And that was recorded it was recorded last year. So I'm now thinking, you know, I worked on that I've been working on that for, for two years or so now. I'm thinking, what would I want to do? And I'm really not sure. But I mean it would it would be amazing to work with um I'm a big fan of the Emmett Cohen trio, and those guys. Um, I watched a lot of their live streams over, uh, uh, you know, over this pandemic break, I suppose. Um, so I'm a big fan of his, and I, I got to see him in London in November, I think it was, or December. He was he was over with um, Brian Carter and uh, Yosushi Nakamura and Veronica Swift. Um so I saw them in London with a few friends, with a few other musicians. And um, I had a brief chat with, with Emmett. And it was uh, so, yeah, I suppose it would be great to do something with with his his trio. And I mean, I mentioned Ver- Veronica Swift and I'm talking about lots of New York based musicians at the moment, but it would be, you know, it would be incredible to work with her. And, and, and I'm a big fan of Benny Benack as well, who I think you've you've done one of these these podcasts with
0: yes he was i believe episode five or six if i'm correct
1: yeah which was great by the way i've I've listened to it and it was a really insightful interview but yeah i think it would be really cool to work with some people in in the u.s um but I, i i don't know there's something in my head with strings i feel like that's what everyone does they do a you know, they they do an album without strings and then all of a sudden they're like, ah, I, want, I want I want to do an album with strings. It would I would so right, okay, I'll give you an answer. I'm beating around the bush. I would love to do I would love to do a big band album and for some of the tracks on it <laughs> for some for some of the tracks on it to also involve strings and have some incredible arrangements by by someone like like Al, um or, or Evan Jolly, the, the two people in the UK that are incredible arrangers. And to, yeah, to get to give the big band thing a go because that's what I've I've always had a passion for it. But with this first album, you know, the budget obviously wasn't there. Um, the budget is very rarely there for a big band, unfortunately. Um, but it's that was sort of the the first stepping stone to to getting where I want to be is is doing a you know a record with a with a quartet myself in a quartet so um yeah i guess that would be be the dream but that's a very interesting question
0: okay i wish you the best on that hopefully this album does well enough that you're able to do a full big band for the next album and like i was talking to you off there just so the people know this guy was liking some of my posts online from the from the jazz podcast and the name sounded familiar and it turns out I saw him perform in London in like 2019, I believe it was, when Wayne Rooney had his last match against America.
1: That's right. Yeah, I, <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, so it was, yeah, that's that's mental. So we, we I thought that the first time that we were going to have met or, or were speaking or have seen each other would be on this podcast. And then uh, I've been throwing that curveball. Um, that we've actually probably met before, and yeah, I was I was playing at the the England versus USA game. I think it was maybe November. It was November. Okay, it was November. Yeah, maybe. November. Okay. I'm not. I'm not sure. It was in the last few years because I do quite a lot of those England games, and uh, and yeah, it was Wayne Rooney's last match, as, as you as you remember better than me. But that's uh, that's very that's very strange. I'm more but, um, mad about the score than anything, but I'm happy yeah, to um, went this last one. It was three nil or four nil, I think. Something three like that. Mil. But the Yeah, but that's um yeah, that's very weird. But so I'm guessing I was playing music with my guitarist Nick, right? Yes. Yeah. I was gonna yeah. ask about
0: him. How's he doing?
1: He, yeah, he's great. He's um He's very good. I saw him recently. Um, we, we've been doing a few live stream shows, and we've, we've got a few shows in London. We're currently doing um, a Nat King Cole songbook show. Uh, so we're we're doing all the Nat King Cole arrangements that Nick has taken down from the Nat King Cole trio. And uh, we did we did a show at a place called the Crazy Cox last month, and we've got a show in uh, in November, uh, early November. That's actually on my birthday. We've got a gig. Um, At the pheasantry in in, uh, Pizza Express, pheasantry in Chelsea in London, doing that show. So yeah, he's he's good, and he's um, involved with my with my album. Uh, He's one of the musical directors alongside Joe Hill. Who uh, the way the way it worked is, I did half of the arrangements on the album with Nick, and then I did half of them with with Joe to really get some different ideas, and also not to put too much pressure on, on in either one of them, and allow them to do do songs they wanted to do, you know, with me. Um, I sort of came to them with a list with a list of songs that I wanted to do and how I wanted to do them and all these ideas that I'd spent months working on and sort of said, right, so you guys are going to split these. Which ones do you fancy doing? And some of them were like, oh, maybe I'm not that fussed on that one. or You know, they decided the, the standards kind of that they wanted to work on. Or some of them I said, I want you to do this one with me because I had ideas that I think would... would lend to them um and i should just mention the other guys on the album um a drummer called luke tomlinson and um on the double bass is uh jack tustin so we have a nice quartet plus me um and it, we're really going for that yeah that, that straight ahead feel but uh kind of trying to go for an old school sound but then with a, a bit more of a modern a modern edge and the old school sound i think I was always always had Oscar Peterson in mind. I, I love Oscar Peterson, and and then the modern sound. I suppose I was going a bit more for the Diana Krall sort of sound, and you know a bit of my own input as well. So yeah, the guys are doing all right. We're just hoping that things begin to pick back up because um, we we would all love to be working more and performing to people again. But obviously things things are are different at the moment.
0: Okay. So just so you know, before you go, we normally like to give a shout-out and show our respects to artists who came before us. So I'm just going to tell you a few vocalists. You choose which you choose one, and you tell us why, okay? Okay. So yeah. we're
1: going to go with Ellen Fitzgerald or Nina Simone. For me, it, it I love Nina Simone, but it has to be Ella Fitzgerald. Ella Fitzgerald, I think, is the greatest the greatest jazz singer of all time, the GOAT, because uh, she's she's done every standard. She did all of the songbooks, you know, the Gershwins, the Cole Porters, the Harold Arlen, the Hoagie Carmichael. She's done it all. She's done all the songs. If you ever, as a jazz singer, if you ever need to, to listen or reference a song, you can go on Spotify and you can type in so-and-so Ella Fitzgerald and she'll have done it and she'll have The first head she'll have sung the melody beautifully and then the second head she does her own thing and so yeah it would it would have to be Ella she's uh, yeah she's she's the best okay Billie Holiday or
0: Dionne Washington
1: that's a closer that's a closer one but I would have to say I think I would have to say ooh Dina, no, I'm going to go Billie Holiday. Billie Holiday, she was she was one of the people at the forefront of, of vocal jazz and improvisation of, of melodies, which which is what I've always loved to do. She was one of the, the first people doing that. And there's so many people have learned from. I think the, the way that singers seem to work, not all singers, but I know many, many jazz singers, people you learn from the previous person. And you know, Billy Holiday is one of the early people, and then you've got Sarah Vaughan and Ella, and then you've got, you know, the more modern singers. And it's the same with the with the male the male jazz singers as well. You know, you've got people right now like like Kurt Elling, who's who's one of my favorites, and you've got Gregory Porter and people like that. And they're, you know, they've learned from Frank, they've learned from Tony Bennett, they've learned from Mel Torme. they've learned from Nat King Cole. And I guess you it's sort of a you they pass on their Their skills and their ideas to the next generation, and then the next generation can use that how they want, and they can hopefully add that to their repertoire whilst they're doing their own thing. So, I would say Billie Holiday because I think she was one of the first people to to really to really inspire those those female um, female jazz singers.
0: Fair, can't argue with that. Tony Bennett or Nat King Cole.
1: That's really hard. That's really hard. I'm gonna have to go with Nat King Cole just because I, I did just talk about him. Uh, again, he's another guy who's done so much. I think his story is amazing. That you know the story. The story goes that he. I think his first record, his first few records, especially with the trio, he was advised by the the record label not to sing, and then you know on his third or fourth album. He was, uh, he sung and, and everyone absolutely loved it. And he, he's a jazz singer. The reason that I'm picking him is because he is a, a jazz singer that a lot of people wouldn't even say he's a jazz singer. As in, he is obviously an amazing technical jazz singer, but the, you know, the, the sort of normal non-musician, let's say, on the street, if you mention Nat King Cole and they think of songs like Smile and L-O-V-E, Um, Let's Face the Music and Dance, they wouldn't say, oh, yeah, he's a jazz singer. Nat King Cole is his own entity because he just completely moves into all the different genres. And he really can just speak to people with the way that he sings and the way that he phrases things, which, you know, I've, I've hopefully learned something from listening to all of his albums that I could have access to. So it, it would have to be Nat, but I'm a huge fan of Tony Bennett, and I really, really want to see Tony Bennett. I also really want to see Stevie Wonder, um, I guess, before before I won't have the opportunity to do so anymore.
0: Why Stevie Wonder? Just curious.
1: Stevie Wonder is, is my favorite musician of all time. I think he's one of the greatest living songwriters uh, his his music again, similar to Nat King Cole, but I'd say even more. It just, it's jazz, it's soul. It, at the time, it was pop, it was R and B. You know, it's even rock and, rock and roll sometimes. Sometimes it even sounds classical. Like his songs are absolutely amazing, and the melodies and the harmony that go behind it are, you know, a second to none. But other than that, you know, he he's, sounds like he's a great guy and also an incredibly talented uh, performer, incredibly talented singer. He does things that I've, I have never heard any other singer do, but he's also, you know, one of the best harmonica players in the world. He <laughs> is, you know, he, he plays the piano. He apparently plays the drums as well. You know, he's just, he just seems to be able to do everything. And he, again, he has an amazing story, which I think um, makes me like him even more. But yeah, he, for me, he's the top. There's actually right behind me right now. I'm just turning to look at a poster on my wall, which is of Stevie Wonder. Um, so that's how much I like Stevie Wonder.
0: Okay. Was not expecting a poster to be in your room of him. Okay. so <laughs> Louis yeah, Armstrong. Oh, keep going.
1: No, I was just gonna say he's the guy, big a big inspiration. So I guess you gotta sometimes I gotta check in with Stevie and think, ah, come on. I gotta I gotta I've gotta work harder.
0: <laughs> All of us need to work harder if we're gonna compare ourselves to Stevie, but yeah. <laughs> so
1: Louis Armstrong or Ray Charles. I'm gonna say Ray Charles, actually, because I think he treads the the line between what you would then call R&B. Obviously R&B has, has kind of a different meaning now, but proper rhythm and blues and jazz and soul. And, and he, you know, he, his version of Georgia on my mind is one of my favorite songs ever. That arrangement is incredible and the way he sings it. But yeah, it's got to be Ray Charles. He, he's got that charisma, that rock and roll charisma. Um, and he has so much passion in his voice that that... I always just find amazing listening to it's one of those voices you listen to, and you listen to it again, and you hear a new thing that he's added in there, like a new phrase that he's done in his own way. So, yeah, it would be Ray. That is fair.
0: So, could you tell everyone where to find you, your social media, etc.?
1: Yeah, um, so you can find my, you can find me on all the all the socials. Um, my Instagram and Facebook are James Hudson Music, um, just straight through James Hudson Music, uh, and I post a lot of my updates and stuff on Instagram. I also have a website, which is uh, www.jameshudsonmusic.co.uk, and you got to remember the .co.uk, I guess, for all the U- US listeners. But um, yeah, and very soon you'll be able to. By the time this podcast comes out, you will be able to pre-order my album uh, tomorrow on there. Um, which is very exciting I can't wait to to get it out next year and I have a few singles as well Um, I have my first single from the album that I released is uh, It Had To Be You Um, we did sort of a bossa nova reimagining of that and then we also um, recently released Almost Like Being In Love um, one of my favorite standards again that Nat King Cole does so well so you can hear them they're on Spotify type in James Hudson uh, and you'll find you'll find me and have a listen to those songs and it'd be great to, you know, connect with some new people. So please, you know, drop me a message or uh, on Instagram or whatever. I'm always, you know, it's so nice to speak to people from all over the world about you know, what they think about the music and, and, and things that they're doing. So um, I, I suppose that's that's all my my socials.
0: OK, that's good. That's good, man. So everyone, James Hudson from the UK. And yes, this is Leander from Improv Exchange. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your day. That's that on jazz. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Improv Exchange. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Also, please be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Improv Exchange.